Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. So puns. Let me just point out that Jesus, in a pretty major context, commits or engages in a pun. We, he's, he's, talking to, uh, he's referring to Simon Peter, um, and he says, upon this rock I will build my church, right? And that, that's, that's a pun. Simon Peter's Aramaic name was pretty close to the Greek word Petra, which meant rock. So he was basically making a joke. In fact, the, the, the um, apocryphal Gospels and the Gnostic Gospels, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. You see what I did there. He turns to the disciples and says, you see what I did there. So Jesus makes a pun. And everybody, I mean, Shakespeare made thousands of puns. James Joyce made thousands of puns. Finnegan's Wake is just one long pun. Um, and in fact... Let me see if I can recall this correctly. So the Britney Spears song, If You Seek Amy, is in fact a pun. And it is based on a pun in Ulysses, which I think is a poem that begins, If You Seek Hay. So these are, th- those are puns. I presume I don't have to explain the, this pun to anybody. But, uh, but if, or just like ask your mom or something. Or don't ask your mom. Don't tell your mom you heard that pun on this show. All right. So we're going to talk about puns today. I have to stop. Uh, and, and I have to start by introducing our guest, Joe Berkowitz, a writer and staff editor at Fast Company. His latest book is Away With Words, an irreverent tour through the world of pun competitions. Yes, there are pun competitions. Uh, and also jo- joining us. Uh, and not for the first time, and ideally not for the last, uh, is Alexandra Petri, humorist who also writes the Compost blog and other columns for the Washington Post and causes all kinds of trouble on social media. She's the author of A Field Guide to Awkward Silences. Uh, she claims no pun is beneath her. There are some puns, however, that are above her, but her pun reach should exceed her grasp. So let's get going here. Actually, I'm gonna ha- I'm going to begin with a little bit of Groucho Marx, uh, and I'm going to ha- have you guys discuss whether or not this is a pun. Because one of the things we've got to figure out is 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 what's a pun. So so let's go with Groucho. One morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How he got in my pajamas, I don't know. Then we try to remove the tusks. The tusks. That's not so easy to say. Tusks. You try that sometimes. Oh, simple tusks. Pardon me. My name is Spalding. I've always wanted to meet you, Mr. Chandler. As I say, we try to remove the tusks. But they were embedded in so firmly that we couldn't budge them. Of course, in Alabama, the Tuscaloosa. But uh, that's entirely irrelevant to what I was talking about. Okay, so particularly at the end there, in Alabama, the tusks are looser, but that's entirely irrelevant to what I'm talking about. Um, uh, Joe Berkowitz, we'll start with you because you, as they say, wrote the book. I assume, I assume that th- those are puns, right? Totally. Yeah, yeah without question. So what's the, what's the minimum daily requirement for a pun? I mean, what, what does something have to be to be a pun? I mean, uh, pun is basically just uh, words that sound like other words. And tusks are looser, Tuscaloosa. Yep. I mean, that counts. And uh, same thing with uh, irrelevant. I think those are technically different kinds of puns if we really break it down. But, um, yeah, they both fall into the same umbrella. 
So, Alexandra, a pun does require something like that. In other words, I don't know, Groucho's, I'm trying to think of another Groucho joke. He said, uh, I, I just made a killing on Wall Street. I shot my broker. Uh, now, that's probably not a pun, even though he's using a double meaning of killing. I don't know. Alexandra Petri, would you give that pun status? I feel like that might be what some people were trying to make figlet happen, like a figurative use of a literal term where mm. it's not a true killing, but a figurative, uh, but no, actually it's not a metaphorical killing, but a literal killing. But I don't know. I feel like puns are sort of like pornography. It's like, it's in the groan of the beholder. Uh, <laughs> well, that's okay. So I, I want to stop you on that, but also restart you on that, Alexandra. So there's something about I feel like we're not quite in pun territory for some people. If there isn't something a little bit cranially assaultive about a pun. Right. I mean, I'm not quite sure. I think this is one of the things that we need to kind of get our fingers on here in this conversation. What's going on there with that idea of the groan? Well, I feel like the, the groan is always in a lot of talking about puns. They view the groan as an essential element. Yeah. They say it's a short quip followed by a long groan <laughs> is one definition that somebody applied to it. And I, I think it's almost because there's something where you can't deny that a pun has been made, whereas you can refuse to laugh at an ordinary joke, but you can't say that wasn't a pun if a pun has happened. So there's something sort of almost objective about them that I think gets greeted with a groan where it's, I know what you did there. I don't have to like it. <laughs> so, Joe Berkowitz, let's talk about this a little bit more, because I think also a lot of it depends on delivery. A lot of it de depends on who's talking. So not too long, sometime within the last month or so, I was watching Saturday Night Live, which is not a place you associate with dad jokes. And we'll get to the whole dad joke thing in just a second. Oh, and, yeah. and Con but so, so Colin Jost uh, uh, sets up a news item. There's an actual news item, a uh, guy who gets arrested for having sex with uh, an automotive tailpipe. And then Colin Jost goes, he said the sex was exhausting. Um, and so Joe Berkowitz, that's, I think that's a pun. Um, uh, maybe it's not it maybe is, yeah. yeah and and but like nobody would go oh Colin Jost just did a pun so is there something about is there something reputational about pun like why why wouldn't everybody go oh oh that's a pun uh. well puns are everywhere and everybody makes them but almost everybody doesn't like to admit it like when I was researching the book, I wanted to talk to a bunch of comedians about puns, and I had a tough time getting them to talk on the record. I would go through their publicists and I would explain what I wanted to talk about. And then a couple times I would hear back, uh, X person doesn't make puns, okay? And I was like, I, I bet they probably do. I mean, everybody does. And uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, Saturday Night Live would, would like to present as too hip for puns, but, uh, you know, they can go for that, that uh, look how bad this pun was laugh, or they could go for, you know, something like that exhaust one, which is, I think, legitimately clever. Right. Well, and, and, Joe, and Joe, also, did you know, I don't know how far you got into this distinction, but my sense is that British people and British comedians are a lot more comfortable with the idea of a pun and, and of a pun being, like, for example, I'm a big fan of a British comedian named Frank Skinner, and he has this, you know, two hour show uh, on Saturday mornings where he and his Confederates just sit around and they just kind of talk. And so and puns just come up. And I at one point he was explaining that somebody had offered him uh, he'd been in a green room and they'd said, 
would you like uh, some proper tea? And he said, no, because Marx says property is theft. Um, <laughs> and so, okay, so Petri laughed at that one. Uh, and But I think that there's, you know, Frank Skinner is regarded in, in England as rather clever. I mean, did you notice any kind of transatlantic double standard there, Joe Berkowitz? Yeah, I, I mean, when I first started uh, writing the book, I, the idea of puns being popular overseas didn't really like square with my sense of or my idea of dry British humor. But uh, there are pun competitions over there. And um, the people I talked to, the I, I forget, the, I don't have the guy's name on the top of my head, but the guy who started uh, the most prominent British pun competition, he was explaining that just there is kind of uh, not as much embarrassment or the way he put it, you know, none at all really uh, behind their, 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 they'll have a more earnest deployment of puns. Right. Apparently, um, and and so uh, before we get, we're going to talk to a pun hater, or a not a pun hater, not a pun phobe, but perhaps a pun skeptic in just a second here. But Alexandra, I mean, if the British are cooler with puns, it might have something to do with that tradition of Shakespeare and of Joyce, right? The, these are, you know, epic. I feel great... like Joyce would be really upset he was being called British, but no, yeah, well, totally. yes, yeah, you know, I yes, uh, sorry about that. Sorry about the uh, colonialism. I, I take it all back. Let's go with just let's, let's just go with Shakespeare, Alexandra, right? I mean, there's just, there's punning all the time. Oh, continually. And I feel like some of them have actually survived pretty well to the point of being almost radio inappropriate. Like in Hamlet, there's one where uh, he's asking, can Ophelia, can I lie in your lap? And she says, no. And he goes, what, did you think I meant country matters? Which, you know, ask your mom about it, I guess. Uh, (laughs) But like, it's, it's, barely it's just there's a word embedded in that uh but it's like much ado about nothing there's like three puns in there and we may maybe only get two of them now because we don't pronounce nothing noting which is apparently the way they used to pronounce it something much more like a noting and so it was not only much ado about nothing but much ado about noting aka eavesdropping or listening and then there's also sort of the sexual pun on thing so he was just packing them in there any chance he could get Right. I see. Yeah. My understanding of that, that, that is the same, that no thing would mean perhaps a woman's happy place um, because there's no thing there. So um, ask your mom. I, I really just affect. And like the sonnets are just festivals of just he, he has this whole thing about because thou wert pricked out for woman's pleasure or something. Thine be their love and my, thy love's use my treasure or something i'm mangling it horribly but he's got a lot of anyway there's being pricked out for woman's pleasure could technically be like selected but we we know we get it we may be the first radio show to get an fcc fine for quoting shakespeare and the new testament uh but uh chaucer he like lit every other word in um the canterbury tales is like a pun on the penny farthing Mm mm-hmm (laughs) <laughs> it's all over that book. Uh, a penny for your farthing. So, um, all right, let's. We need to get. We're getting a little bit giddy here, so we need to get somebody to drag us down to earth. Uh, to do so, to do that is Charlie Hopper, a writer uh, at Young and Larimore Advertising, uh, a songwriter who writes a series about uh, selling a song to Nash, trying to sell a song uh, in Nashville, uh, and uh, oh, for McSweet, for McSweeties. Oh, I love McSweeties. I've written for McSweeties, and he doesn't like puns. Um, so. Um, so Charlie Hopper, uh, uh, so 
So grab the cord of our, our pun balloon and just pull it right back down to <laughs> earth uh, and get us, uh, get us grounded here. I'm happy to. I will start off saying uh, I'm a dad, mm-hmm. and I am not without uh, guilt in I, I can't. I can throw stones, but there's glass in my house. I've made puns. I make puns. Yeah. Like you said, people make puns. The the comedians that said they didn't make puns make puns. And I think a lot of the pride in making a pun right quickly, right right in the moment, like if um, the 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 fellow you were talking about who was in the green room really did say that and said it quickly. That's a great. There's not. You can't take anything away from that. My resistance to puns i kind of i think of them as doritos uh you can you can have some doritos just don't eat lots and don't eat so many doritos that you (laughs) it it doesn't feel good um so there's really two things i guess the first is is that groan which, if you have a relationship with someone where what you want is that groan if you if you want the eye roll from your wife that's fine, but then just, you know, that's, that, that's fine. That's your relationship with them. But then if you're going to try to, let's say, uh, write it down and put it on behalf of a company or, or maybe write a song and have the song based on a, a pun, now you're in a different area, which is, I think, kind of in your introduction, you indicated that's kind of, that's where my skepticism comes from is, is when you aren't just, you know, knocking them out to make the people around you roll their eyes. Um, when you codify them, I know Shakespeare and, and Chaucer and Joyce and, and, and have to respect that, but I think in a lot of cases, British people like to show off their wit more than we do. It's kind of a show-offy thing, and that's what a pun really turns into. Is it turns off this, this watch me do this thing by myself and show off my wit. Oh, okay. So uh, you, you've thrown a lot of chum out there on the waters for the sharks. I, I, I am, I, so, and I can keep going or stop right here. All right. Well, let me just stop you right here. I, I want to just stop with one thing. I want to just pounce on one thing that Charlie said and get both of you to react to it. I'm going to start with you, Alexandra. Did you notice how he said, well, if you, your, your wife, your wife might roll her eyes? And there is sort of a way in which you should pardon the expression punning is gendered. You know, there's this kind of idea that it's something dudes do and they think they're really funny. I mean, nobody calls it a mom joke. Um, so what? About, so you, meanwhile, are uh, a female punner extraordinaire. I feel like that's some kind of Shakespearean, you know, double entendre, but I don't know what it is. Uh, so what about that? I mean, first of all, when you're in the competition, when you're at competitions, Alexandra, are you noticing that there are more dudes than non-dudes, than, than nothings? I think, well, d- decreasingly so, because but I, I'm always on a horse about this, which is that puns are not dad jokes. Puns are for everyone. And the fact that we're like, this is a gendered thing, and we're going to reserve it for dads, and that mom jokes are jokes about, like, how your mother is so large that she takes up a whole movie theater or so foolish that she's not in the phone book. I don't think that's actually a mom joke. I think I'm making that one up. Whereas dad jokes are this thing where like, you know, the old, it's like, hi, hungry, I'm dad. And it's just this, I don't know. It's it's straight. It's striking to me that we've cordoned off this whole area of wordplay and said this is for men. Uh, but I think 
and especially pun competitions lately, there's been pushback to that because there's tons of great female punters. And like, you know, you don't have to be a dude like to do the dad to make a joke that's a duty uh, or something. <laughs> I'm still laughing. I think you might have been made the first ever Dadaist, not dad, but Dadaist mom joke your mom is so foolish she's not in the phone book (laughs) no that's that's not a dad joke that's a dadaist joke all right so um so uh, so joe you've been uh, through the the gamut of pun competitions what are you seeing about the gender gap there um like uh like alexandra was saying it does seem to be increasingly uh shifting you know, I only spent kind of a year in the trenches of the pun world, but I could see, only. you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I could see, I mean, not quite month to month, but over the course of the year, I could see uh, more more women showing up. And then I, when I went to the world championships of pun competitions, a real thing that really exists, uh, when I went to that, um, there were, there was, you know, it wasn't by any means a balanced representation, but um, they were, you know, in talks with getting more more uh, women to be judges. And, you know, they're very excited to have uh, women uh, competing. I think, you know, I think it, it, it has been uh, uncomfortable for, for someone women in the past to show up in a space like that is so uh, that had been so dominated by by men for whatever reason. But, yeah, it seems to be changing. And as far as the the dad joke thing is concerned, I think I think it's not. I don't know if I necessarily think that dad jokes are synonymous with puns. I think it's just mm. classic bumbling dad, you know, persona to associate um, dads with just making terrible comedy. Like my dad would always have these little dadisms that weren't quite puns. Like if you ever asked him, uh, hey, you get a haircut? He'd be like, I got a few of them cut. No matter how many times in my life I ever saw him get a haircut. It was that every time. And that's not a pun, but it's, I think that falls under the dad joke rubric. Is one of you dressed as a jester? Because I keep hearing this little bell that's ringing, like, uh, like maybe you're like scoring points with the king. All right, so um, let me just, uh, before I go back to Charlie on this, uh, I think, first of all, I should say our phone number is 860-275-7266. We invite you to call in and make what, uh, well, for want of a better word, you might consider a contribution to this show, 860-275-7266. And with this very idea of the dad in mind, I give you, ladies and gentlemen, Leslie from New Haven. Leslie, you have the floor. Oh, hi. I was I was calling because my dad was that typical dad that you're talking about. And my favorite pun that he said, we were once, I think, in a grocery store, and he looked at a, a woman next to him who had a Winnie the Pooh sweatshirt on, and he put his glasses lower and looked down at her and said, Madam, you have a little poo on you. Um, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> well, well, it's no, that would definitely be a dad joke, um, and it would be a pun. And so, um, so Charlie, this is a good way into maybe one of the points that you raise. You say the pun is not your friend. The pun fools you into thinking you've had an idea. Like your drunk friend, it's just going to waste your time and maybe reduce other people's respect for you. So it's it's possible either that Leslie's dad was being this kind of playful, enjoyable, kind of fun guy with a little poo joke that he's making or that the pun was his drunk friend leading him into doing something that really ultimately he might regret the next day. I don't know. That's essentially what you're saying, right? Yeah, th- that um, there's a there's a 
you know, they call it the lowest form of, I mean, there's just an easiness to it that I think with that whole dad thing, you're right. There are certainly, I'm, you know, here in the ad agency, there are women copywriters ready to make puns uh, as much as the men. It's not gender based as far as the puns, but there's a torture aspect to it that the dads enjoy making you groan. I think that might be starting to be gender based. I mean, mom's like to torture too, I suppose, but there's just something about that needling aspect to it that, uh, that the dads typically are going to settle for, I guess. But, um, the, the whole, I guess my whole point about saying it's, it's, it's leading you into, uh, something you might regret the next day or however you might think of it is just the opportunity cost. What could you have done in the space you were provided that might've been better? And I don't know about the grocery store, with the poo joke, yeah. sure. Right. But it's in the moment, that's sure. That could that could have been the best thing that happened near the rice aroni all day. So, um, yeah. so Alexandra, you know, there's a I'm getting a, a message from Betsy Kaplan, who never lied to me before. She's the producer of the show. Uh, so there's an old joke that's not a pun about the guy who wakes up from surgery and he says to the doctor, will I be able to play the violin? And the doctor says, yes. And he says, great, because I've never been able to play it before. Um, uh, is it true that you woke up from surgery and immediately wanted to test your punning abilities? It, that is true. I had my appendix taken out like a faulty book edition. Um, and I, the first thing I did once I woke up from the anesthesia was I screamed, give me a subject to make puns on. And uh, my mother has since described this incident as proof that uh, my now husband has seen me at my worst. Um, but he was very good. He, he, he's like uh, big cats. And so I'm sitting there saying, I'd be lying if I weren't in a lot of pain right now. Um, but yeah, it was, I think, deeply confusing to all the nurses. But, uh, but and were you just sort of testing your cognitive faculties and making sure that, you know, your tremendous punning facility had not been damaged by the surgery? Was that why you asked for it? I think I was asking for it because I was in some considerable pain. Right. And I'm like, well, you know what will cheer me up right. is making others feel that pain. Right. It um, might have been, yeah. been the fentanyl talking, too. You never know. So, yeah. um so I think maybe what we need to do is to take a quick break here because we're because uh, we're running out of time. So uh, please uh, feel free to call in 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. And if you don't call in, I'm just going to say your mom is so stupid, so foolish. She's not in the phone book. That's like my favorite joke ever. It makes no sense whatsoever. All right, here we go. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Another one of those puns and you're fired. My reply was, I feel alone, like a bicycle. You want to know why? Because I can't stand on my own, because I'm too tired. Get it? Too tired? <laughs> oh, boy. Weddings bring people together. Although my two straight-shooting relatives, my two noble kinsmen, Mac, Beth, they're like, don't go. Last time you got arrested. And I'm like, yeah, was it a mess? Sure, for me, sure. But some time passed since then, and I won't be taking Julie. Ah, uh, Julie thinks I'm a tight ass and ironic, cause I'm tame enough that this shrew tried to use the royal toilet, the King John. Cause when you're richer, the turd needs to be a Midsummer Night's streams. I don't know how the rich are. The second they saw her in there next to the Twelfth Night, Kate shouts, they're trying to troll us in Crescent a Wedding! And she's like, us? You lie, Kate! 
Then they tried to arrest Julie, yes, Caesar, and throw Mio and Julie out. We were like, not cool, real heinous. We're Americans, we have rights. I read the First Amendment, then read the Fourth, then read the Fifth, then read the Sixth, then read the Eighth. until the emergence of an escape route. I just hope next time I won't be barred. Whoa, so that's uh, Alexandra Petri spitting rhymes. Well, no, not spitting rhymes, spitting puns uh, at uh, a punning competition where apparently at least one person had a vuvuzela, which I, I think should not be allowed uh, at pun competitions. We're talking about puns right now with uh, Joe Berkowitz, uh, who is a writer and staff editor at Fast Company. His latest book is Away with Words. That's Away with Words, an irreverent tour through the world of pun competitions. Alexandra Petri, uh, that's who you just heard, writes and blogs. She's like one of the funny writers in America right now. That's the easiest way to talk about it. And she is uh, with the Washington Post. Uh, and so, um, Joe, maybe you can help us uh, understand a little bit more about what we just heard. I think for a lot of people, the idea of a pun competition is a hard thing to wrap one's mind around. Uh, maybe, Joe, you can just quickly explain to us, how does this even work? I mean, how, how does a pun competition take place? Sure. Um, the the first punk competition I went to is one that's monthly in Brooklyn called Punderdome. And that one, it uh, starts with, I think, um, 18 people. They go, they come six on stage at a time. They're given a word or no, a category, excuse me. And they have to write down on a whiteboard as many puns on that category as they can think of in uh, two minutes. And then after that, they have, uh, they come up one at a time and have a minute and a half to recite uh, all the puns they came up with. So a lot of times it, when you're in that situation, you're just jotting something down on the board, like, uh, and then you have to figure out a way to present it in a funny way. Because the actual pun itself, this is the, like one of the key things about puns, is like the the actual twist of the word sometimes isn't the funniest thing. It's the the joke you work it into. That It's like the packaging that makes it work. Um, anyway, uh, so... Uh, that's how the one in, in Brooklyn goes. And there is an aspect of that at uh, what we what we just heard uh, Alexandra Petri's um, kind of a monologue filled with puns. That's uh, one half of the competition down in Austin, the world championship. Uh, o. Henry pun off. Uh, that's uh, something called punniest to show. And each person comes up and they have two minutes to recite a monologue on any topic uh, and as long as it's full of puns and it's a topic of your choosing. Uh, hers was obviously Shakespeare and the Vuvuzela sound you heard that they give you a horn when you're, I think, uh, uh, a minute and 45 because you have to stop at two. Um, and yeah, so that's one half of the competition. The other half is uh, called pun slingers. And that's when two people come on stage at a time. It's like a um, like a, a pun uh, death match, basically. You just fire puns back and forth on a topic they give you until uh, one person runs out. And uh, it's uh, equal parts exciting and exhausting. We should say yeah. that even though that Alexander sounded pretty awesome there, she was disqualified. She tested positive for ginkgo biloba, uh, and uh, they just kind of threw her out of the, on that basis. So um, although probably if I was going to do the pun, I'd say that Barry Bonds tested positive for spheroids. Um, so I, I'm getting caught up in this. I'm getting tempted to enter this dark world that you guys inhabit. <laughs> um, so, Alexandra, I mean, maybe talk a little bit about I, this is sort of – like a combination of 
improv and Jeopardy, right? You're you're. I would imagine that it's kind of nerve wracking to be put in a position where you have to just pun right there on the spot with no warning. I, talk a little bit about what's going through your. I feel like I'm a sports reporter. How big was yeah. it when you came up with those puns? I mean, we just gave 110 percent, man. That's just what we did, <laughs> and we. Um, I guess I would say. The, the fun thing about it is it is as much sort of a trivia contest as it is a wordplay contest. Because if you can come up, if you can manage to come up with a thing that fits the category in time to come up with wordplay, that's icing on the cake. But otherwise, you wind up with a lot of sort of torture. I hardly know her. And they're like, I'll allow it because technically you, you said something. But I one time I was in Punslingers and the category was units of measurement and Man, I I was really stretching it. I think at one point I suggested King's arm, which was historically a unit of measurement, but is not like what you're hoping for when you go into the category. But yeah, it can be grueling, but it's also nice because you have an audience who are there on purpose to watch people make puns for more than three hours. And that's a rare gift. <laughs> or a deficiency. Um, all right, so I just want to go to the phones really quickly here. Our number, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. We're gonna, we are going to give some award away at the end. One of our uh, fabulous and much sought-after Colin McEnroe show, Some Kind of Prize, which usually means we just fill up an envelope with any junk we can find in the newsroom <laughs> and then autograph it and send it to you. So uh, with that in mind, uh, if you can, you know, if you can really impress us with a pun, you might be able to uh, get uh, that coveted gift. All right, here's uh, Parker in Burlington. Hi, Parker, you're on the air. Hi, Colin. Yeah, so when I leave an area or, you know, a place at night, I'll say, okay, I'm like a ball guy. And he look at me and said, yeah, I'm out of here. Boom. Boom. Do you have any units of measurement puns just off the top of your head? Or are you, or are you just inching along right now? Um, all right. No, no, I can see. I can see he's stumped. We temporarily stumped him. All right. 860-275-7266. Uh, 860-275-7266. Joe Berkowitz, Alexandra brings up a very interesting question. The audience. There are people in the audience of this thing other than people who are planning to compete eventually in this thing. Like who who goes to a pun fight? In my experience, it's like a wide variety of people, and uh, it's shocking how many. Like the first time I went to one, I saw people that you might see at like the like the Brooklyn flea market over the weekend, or uh, a bunch of you know like tote bag carrying. You know, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of hipster cliches, but whatever. I, I saw like a ton of people, uh, way more than I would expected. And the they're artisanal pickle carrying is the a phrase. Yeah, that, that would have been. I wish I would have landed on that. Avocado um, coasters. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, ordinarily you make a pun and someone either uh, politely musters a chuckle or they groan a little bit playfully or they just, you know, stare in stony silence. But um, here they will scream and yell and uh, like like uh, Alexander was saying, it's really helpful because they want you to succeed. And also the first thing you say is going to get a laugh almost no matter what, because, you know, they want you to do good. And uh, w whether it's conscious or not, yeah, they're just going to laugh. The first thing you say, you're kind of on your own after that. But, you know, you get like a little 
a little bit of leeway at the beginning there. So, <laughs> so that helps a lot of people out. Yeah. They'll be looking at really embarrassed, and they'll say the first one, get a laugh, and they'll be more confident on the second. But by the way, if you hear clanking sounds in the background, Alexandra, who has been on Jeopardy and been in pun competitions, is now competing in one of those things where they pl- spin the plates on sticks. And so she is practicing even while we're having this conversation. Um, so, Alexandra, I, I also want to know, I guess, I mean, do do people ever boo the pun the punning competitors? I mean, is that a thing? I haven't experienced it. I feel like if you make a too soon pun, that would be the only way where everyone's like, no, we agree that as a culture, we're not ready for jokes on this subject. Mm-hmm. That might be a scenario. Right. Um, okay, because I want to know because people are calling in with puns. I want to know whether you can boo them or not, or apparently not. We have to sort of really root for them uh, to succeed. We have to want them to do good. All right, uh, here's Catherine calling in with, a, I believe, a pun that I first heard in the 1970s, but that's okay. Um, Catherine from Mystic, what have you got for us? This is my favorite pun of all time. It comes from Dorothy Parker. So she's sitting at the Algonquin round table with the other writers who have all had too much to drink. And one of them says, here's a challenge for you. Make a pun on the word horticulture. And she says, you can lead a horticulture, but you cannot make her think. Right. So um, I don't even know if you can tell that. Uh, that could be like a pun with a Me Too problem at this point. I'm not sure. Uh, but back in Dorothy Parker. I think Parker. Dorothy Parker, we should allow it. Right. I also love the one when she got her abortion and she said, that's my fault for putting all my eggs in one bastard. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I had not heard that one before. Um, all right. So, um, and, you know, uh, Joe, before we go back to the phones, um, Maybe you could talk a little bit about how what, what the judging criteria would be. In other words, I, I don't know. I mean, first of all, this seems like, like an incredibly subjective area, at least in figure skating. There are certain, you know, landings you have to make and, and triple sukaharas you have to do and stuff. I, I don't know. How does anybody judge a pun competition? Well, in in Brooklyn uh, and, and a lot of other, you know, kind of like local ones that crop up all over the place, um, and uh, Alexandra could speak better to the ones that are in, in uh, D.C. But in the one in Brooklyn, anything goes pretty much. It just has to sort of sound like you'd probably consider it a pun. Uh, in Austin at the World Championships, the pun competitions, it's a lot more strict. And there are parameters it has to fit. There are judges on stage who will kind of will you, you get a strike if you offer up something uh, in the pun slingers, when you're going back and forth with your competitor, uh, you get a, you get three strikes and you're and you're done. And uh, Alexandra mentioned earlier, uh, torture. I hardly know her. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They are trying to make it so that counts as one like uh, word that's been used in that uh, back and forth session. You you can you can't keep doing that because. I don't know why, but when I was researching the book, I found out that a lot of people who are judges in Texas, they have a big problem with that one because I guess it's the the easiest one to fall back on. Ah, all right. Well, that yeah, that could be what Alexandra was referring to. Let's go to the phones here, and we might even, uh, because we have a punning champion uh, here, you know, like, we might even sort of do a little. Uh, you know, allow people to kind of riff on other people's puns. So let's see what Frank from Weathersfield's got for us. So, up, oh, Frank hung up. That's what he did. Or either that or his pun is beep, beep, beep. He was really good at doing a dial tone. Yeah, that exactly was good. No, it's I saw on the board that he was going to say a pun isn't the lowest form of humor. It's the lowest form of pastry. I think that's a bun joke. You got a pun in the oven, right? 
you had bred in captivity, something like that. All right, so let's try um, Stephen in Jewett City. Hi, Stephen. You're on the air. By the way, Arnold, this is like the beep, beep, beep show. Uh, they're getting scared. Uh, they're getting worried that we're going to boo them. All right. So our number is 860-275-7266. That's 860-275-7266. What we'll do is we'll take a break. We'll figure out our phones. Joe and Alexandra are still with us. Uh, and if uh, people don't call in with puns that challenge us, then we'll uh, challenge you with puns. Uh, and that's what's going to happen. always good to have a pun in reserve in case you need it. You know, a safety pun. Today's show was produced by Ahab, who was a bent sea captain. You see what I did there? I hope this show has something useful to teach Amanda fish. I was just mentioning that to the lunch cook who is adding root vegetables to the grilled sandwich. Why make the panina beady? The part of the check for Indian food was played by Bill Curry. On tomorrow's show, our salute to paper. And now... Back to Colin. I should say that almost every day on the show when Wolfie does those credits, she thanks, among the other producers and contributors to the show, Amanda Fish. And I've only mentioned this once before, but actually this, this comes from a, mis- a punned misunderstanding of the phrase, teach Amanda Fish. Uh, and that's why Amanda Fish gets thanks every day. It th- gets thanked every day. It, it is, in fact, uh, a pun. I also want to give a shout out to Jim Chapdelaine, a friend of the show uh, and frequent guest on the show, who I was trying to make some joke on Twitter where there's a lot of puns on Twitter these days. And I was trying to make a, a pun about, you know, this whole idea of rogue people doing something. And I was saying something about my refrigerator and I mentioned rogue chillers. And he jumped right in and said, get, ge- get the gelato here. I, I'm, ba- I'm barely even doing this right. Get the gelato here, which I really thought was kind of a brilliant pun. I mean, you have to say it a few times to actually uh, uh, kind of get it. Maybe, maybe that's one of the – I don't know whether it's a strength or a weakness. But we've got he- people here who know the, uh, the answer to that. Joe Berkowitz, writer and staff editor at Fast Company. His latest book is Way With Words, an irreverent tour through the world of pun competitions. And then Alexa- Alexandra Petri writes blogs, columns, Washington Post, funny, extremely funny – also causes a lot of trouble on Twitter, uh, but not always with puns. But, you know, Ale- Alexandra, I do feel like Twitter is a place where you can go do a pun, um, you know, and not get shouted down. Be- maybe just because, you know, how, how many other things can you do in 280 characters? Exactly. It's, it's, it's a good pun release valve. I did one the other day where I said, you know, uh, apparently you can indict a sitting president, but Trump will have to stand up soon. Um, and the people seem to kind of like that. All right, let's uh, see if we can go back to the phones here. I'm going to let uh, Joe and uh, Alexandra rate these puns. We'll start again with Steve in Jewett City. Hi, Stephen. You're on the air. Hi. How you doing, Colin? It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I had a good one. It's uh, about me and my lawyer making up a contract. Yeah. And he was talking about a sanity clause, and I told him, I said, I, I don't think there is a sanity clause. All right, Chico Marx's lawyers are on the phone right now. Oh. Um, but it's also, actually, so he ra- he raises a really interesting point. And, and, and so, um, Joe and Alexander, this is something that Frank Skinner, who I, I do think is a great punster, has brought up, too. Sometimes when you make a pun, 
uh, somebody might accuse you of having purloined it from someone. But it's also true, and Alexander, I'll have you start. The puns are sort of there for the making. So Sanity Claus, Santa Claus, you didn't have to steal it from Chico. It's kind of sitting there waiting to be made, right? Exactly. It's the shortest line between two points, I think. <laughs> and sometimes you just see the phrase out there and then you're like, oh, I, I've, I've really connected some dots. And you go online and it turns out that since the year 2012, like 34 people have made the same joke. But that doesn't diminish the thrill of discovery in any way. Right. So I did, I, I did rain unfairly on Stephen's parade. Um, and, and Joe, you must see this, too, going to the competitions that some puns come up over and over again. Maybe not because people are pun stealing, but as I say, they're sort of embedded. They're like they're like mousetraps waiting to spring. Oh, yeah. There's, uh, you know, a lot of parallel thinking. And uh, there's also, you know, like a uh, a, a common, you know, pool that they, that people can pull from, and people, you know, respect that. I think the only time you run you'd run into a problem is if someone said a classic pun and introduced it as, or not classic, but you know, uh, just one that's been heard before, and they introduce it as, "Hey, here's a pun that I definitely just made up myself, and this is the first time anyone's heard it," or something like that. All right. So, by the way, Stephen, it's even funnier when you tell it in a Chico Mark Mark's accent. Although maybe you can't do that anymore either. I'm not sure what's a, a allowed these days. Here's Tony in Boston. Hi, Tony. What have you got for us? How you doing? When you exercise a pun, you risk a groan pull. That's not too bad. Well, no, I shouldn't say anything. So you exercise, you exercise a pun. You're taking a risk of a groan pull. Uh, Alexander, give yeah. us a rating on that one. <laughs> I think you're a real grown up with a pun like that. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Joe, Joe, how would that do at one of the uh, competitions? I think it would it would get uh, it would get a laugh. People like thinking about groins and uh, <laughs> acknowledgement of their own groaning. So, yep. Two thumbs up. Can I make a quick comment on the uh, on the measurement? Yeah, but uh, can I, Tony, just say, say that you do have a tendency to make these kinds of puns? Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, to make a make a pun about uh, measurements, you have to show a bit of leadership. Ah, leadership. Ah, ah, that's not bad. That's not bad. Um, all right, so uh, we're not going to pound you on that one. Uh, let's go to the next one. We have a Lydia. This can't be our Lydia. We have a Lydia in the newsroom who does make puns all the time, but she, in fact, chose to to spend this hour in a state of seclusion. This is a different Lydia. Lydia in Middlebury, you're on the air. Hi. I have a great idea for a country music song. Okay. Why don't we nip it in the bud before you become a thorn in my side? <laughs> that's that's and so first of all we have to decide whether that's well I guess that's sort of Alexandra is that sort of a bunch of puns I think there might be a a, cl- a pun cluster right that's almost an extended metaphor yeah yeah um, so so not bad at all Lydia I would say and so uh, Joe in, any input here how would you if you were judging what would you say about this. I think that would get a laugh in Brooklyn and that they would uh, make you define which part of that was a pun in Austin. And you would feel bad for a moment, but then you'd probably think of a funny pun to say next. That's interesting. So do, so they do, do they do that? At like the Austin one, they, they sort of uh, they cross-examine you about your pun? Um, sometimes, yeah. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll in, ask you uh, to, to break it down because sometimes they don't know. I remember there was this one, uh, we were talking about gendered stuff earlier, uh, but uh, one pun depended on the concept of carrying high and there were two male judges who just had not heard that term before, weren't familiar with it and just 
they just didn't understand that it was a pun that he was making. Eventually, it all got sorted out. Right. In, in the in that interval, uh, Alexandra has already thought of several deflowering jokes to go along with the pun, the bud and the thorn and the, yeah. Uh, in case the subject arose, um, <laughs> but no, I mean they don't always cross-examine you. Sometimes they friendly examine you. Yeah. But. <laughs> all right, uh, all right. So let's uh, go back to the phones. This is fun. We're putting our listeners to the test here. Uh, and here's Wayne in Manchester. Hi, Wayne. You're on the air. Thank you very much. So my dad, I uh, remember this, I don't know if this counts, would tell this long shaggy dog story about an animal called a rary and how they, people were having lots of problems with raries and the only way they could get rid of them was to go on this long journey to a cliff. And the punchline we, we was... So, we, all three of us absolutely know what the punchline is, but say it anyway. Okay. I mean, I didn't understand it as a kid. Yeah. It's a long way to Tipperary. Tipperary. Um, I don't know if that counts or if it's any good. But. Well, I for, well, I've never heard that. Uh, no, I'd never heard it before either. But I mean, uh, it did sort of telegraph itself a little bit. But um, yeah, it did. but that's okay. I still think that I think it's first of all, you know, Wayne, you're scoring on so many uh, 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 areas here because you get a dad joke that actually comes from a dad. Um, and uh, Joe, it's absolutely a pun. I mean, it's a certain kind of pun, right? It's the story that's set up so that it ends in a pun. Well, actually, yeah, he name checked it in the pun. It's a shaggy dog story. That's what those things are. Is when um, you know you kind of go uh, all the way around the world just to walk across the street. So you know, like it's like a very long setup for uh, yeah. a quick pun. Right. Uh, yeah. So. Um... Yeah, I wouldn't send a night out on a dog like this. So, and I'm wondering, is that the original Shaggy Dog? I'm, I'm wondering, is there a Shaggy Dog from which that term arises, like a Shaggy Dog story, a particular one? I don't know. Um, there is, but I forget it. Okay. Um, I mean, I came there, across it there, in my research. There is the one where about the, you know, the the sir whatever his name is, and he's riding on the back of a dog, and there's something. But I wouldn't send a night out on a dog like this. But but the dog isn't shaggy in that story, is all I'm saying. Uh, all right, so we've got time for one or two more listener contributions, if that's the right word. Uh, David from Clinton, uh, go ahead. Yes, how you doing? Okay, Thanks doesn't matter. Me. Uh, it's a kind of a dad pun. Uh, my father and I have an insulation business. I won't say the name, but we uh, he would be creative advertising and one of the shirts that he made for the guys to wear uh, had insulator than you think because you need insulators to do the work for an insulation company <laughs> no, we got it now, we got it you know <laughs> and he also would do customer names like we had one customer with a name delu and the other one with morpico and he would say there's a little more to delu and a little more to go to finish that job and he would he would do these puns all the time your dad sounds like fun. Um, we would laugh like crazy. Nobody else would, but we would. It was so cute that you explained the insulator joke to us. So, Alexandra, I don't. You want to? First of all, Alexandra, one thing that I would say is the first joke would be better if Chico Marx told it, right? Insulator than you think, right? Yeah, or you could have somebody sing it like "Insulate, darling, it's too late." Um, <laughs> no, we really did try to fake it. I don't. <laughs> we're, we're learning about my pitch. Uh, today. Right. You know, that's another competition. Don't go on The Voice yet, all right? You've got other hills to climb first. Um, all right, so we're going to try at least one more here. Here's Zach from New Haven. Hi, Zach. Hi, how are you? Good. All right, so um, why does Norway put barcodes on the sides of their ships? We give up. So they can Scandinavian. 
<laughs> oh, applause from Petri. Is that applause? Is that applause, or did you drop one of the plates on the floor? No, uh, I have an easy mark. I really like puns. Yeah, no, you're a very supportive audience. There's no question about that. Joe, uh, what about that one? Uh, that's one with kind of a careful setup, so it doesn't feel like free jazz, right? It's sort of it's a set piece. No, that one's perfect. You can't see me over here, but I'm tipping my cap to that one for sure. Really? So we could have a winner. So I'm going to I'm going to put Zach on hold. Can we make sure we get his details? Because he might be winning the coveted some kind of prize from us. I think we have time. We can get one more. Oh, I see this one coming, and it's it's so bad. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on the air. Okay, here's uh, George from New. Oh no, George! George's pun was so bad that he hung up rather than than say it. All right, so uh, I'm nervous about Tom's, but let's see what happens. Tom, you're on the air. Hi, Colin. Great show. Yeah, Tom from Newington. Uh, when my when my daughters were small, uh, we had a babysitter next door. Her name was Denise, and uh, you know she was really great. We could call her; she'd be over in a minute. So my wife would say, well, you know, why don't we call Denise and you and I can go for a walk? And I said, well, that's. That's fine, but why don't we give the nephew a chance? Uh, and uh, I thought you were gonna—I <laughs> thought you were gonna cut her off at Denise. Uh, <laughs> that was even better, Colin. But, no, it really but my wasn't. daughters would inevitably roll their eyes along with my wife, same in unison. I'd get a big old dad. They'd always wait for it. But it seems like women don't appreciate puns. Maybe they're just too ridiculous. I don't know. But they—I didn't get the. I got more razz than I did laughter. Right. Well, actually, no. Earlier in the show, we did establish that that things are changing. Uh, in fact, as it turns out, Alexander, one of the meanings of me too uh, turns out to be yeah. We I could do puns too. Um, it's just one of the ways society is changing, right? amazing. <laughs> All right. So we're going to stop there. Uh, we promise. Uh, but this has been a lot of fun. And I feel so lucky to have really uh, Alexandra Petra. If you're not reading her stuff, I don't know what's wrong with you. I mean, she really is. And I say this as somebody who has occasionally made his living as a humorist. Alexandra Petra is really one of the funniest writers. And as you can tell, talkers in America. Joe Berkowitz, a writer and a staff editor at Fast Company. His latest book is Away with Words, an irreverent tour through the world of pun competitions. And yeah, thanks to Ahab, that would be the bench sea captain. <laughs>